Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. So as we always do, we kick off the show with um, giving a shout out to our sponsor. Our sponsor again today is Celine Automotive. This is an incredible, iconic brand with a 40-year history of excellence in making uh, cars that most all of us have seen. You just might not realize that you saw a Celine car. Steve Celine and his team have been uh, customizing Mustangs under license with Ford. If you buy a Celine Mustang, it's it's a new car. It's not, it's not a used car. It's a new car under license with Ford that are just absolutely incredible. They've been doing that since the early 80s. He also made the incredible uh, S7 supercar that's been featured in countless movies um, and won and beat uh, names like Porsche, Ferrari, and Mercedes in unbelievable uh, iconic races like uh, Le Mans and others. Um, and Steve is at Celine Automotive is conducting a, a crowdfund. This is a sponsor. This is an advertisement. This is a sponsored uh, a tweet and a sponsored space. Um, but uh, John and I are um, pretty heavily involved with this one. We're, we're shareholders. Uh, we're advisors to the company. We're very excited about this. And this is an opportunity for folks that have loved Celine cars, but maybe couldn't afford to buy one or maybe maybe have but to also become shareholders and be part of the next stage of the company's growth. You can check out their crowdfund offering on the very popular and ubiquitous start engine platform. We see that up in the crow's nest. I'd encourage you to go and check it out. So that's our sponsor shout out. Of course, well, thank producer Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. I need all the help I can get. Um, so appreciate that. And of course, as always, uh, please remember, follow uh, Rev Radio, follow myself, the other market masters, uh, DM us questions, and participate in the show. Um, John, this has been an interesting week. Uh, the market's not reacting too well to J-Pow's hawkish pause, as I described it yesterday. We were right. We had a September pause. We were also right that there's more rate hikes on the way he indicated one more this year but we don't know if it's going to be 25 or 50 the market not reacting that badly yesterday but the sell-off seemed to accelerate and that value rotation in the face of rising rates out of tech and into value or things that are perceived as being value continued to today and accelerated into the close the down closing down 370 points the s&p down 72 the NASDAQ, the worst of the bunch, down 245 points for 1.82% uh, on selling of uh, tech, things like chip makers and other companies. 
Um, John, what? Uh, tell us a little bit about what you were watching today. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Um, it was uh, pretty much a bloodbath that just kept getting worse throughout the day. Um, the reaction uh, to hire for longer, none of us thought it would be a good reaction, but I don't know if too many of us thought that we'd see a slip in the NASDAQ of as much as we did today. Um, overall, I think the uh, markets are not comfortable with 4.5% 10 year, which is basically where we touched up to today. Um, they're certainly not happy about the idea that uh, uh, from the indication the Fed chair gave us yesterday, Mark, we would likely not see anything in the cut or the reduction phase uh, until perhaps 2025. That will flip an awful lot of seats in Congress. It'll flip the president. Um, it will flip the markets. Uh, that's just the way those kind of things will probably play out. Um, I think the uh, populace as a whole is getting frustrated by the inflation that is not out of control, but is certainly not tamed. And the fact that uh, crude oil traded this week through 93 to the upside, I mean, we're approaching, we're not there yet, Mark, but we're approaching a move of almost $30 since June 28th low for crude oil, which would have let people refill the spur at uh, somewhere around $67. So there's not a lot of good news there, Mark. Um, certainly not. You know, the best news of the day, quite frankly, was Splunk, uh, which as Mark and I are, Mark's a co-founder and I'm an investor in Battlefin. And this is a, a monstrously strong uh, data play uh, for uh, basically Cisco, who wanted to spend $28 billion in cash to jump on this one. So that was about the only good news today, Mark. <laughs> well, um, jobless claims, you know, 201000 the lowest level since January, but that's good Again, news. Not that's good, good news, news for people. News. Right, bad news for yeah. PayPal. Yep, yep, Yeah, yep. good news for people, bad news for the Fed. Yep, which translates um, into bad news for people at the end of the day. <laughs> ultimately, you are correct, as usual, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that will hurt Joe and Jane Investor through their 401ks, their pensions, their individual investments. And uh, this is uh, the sort of data that lets Jay Powell and the Fed know that the hawks on the Fed are right and that any of the doves are going to get drowned out in the upcoming meetings. Yeah, and, and it seems counterintuitive, and I, but I, I'm sure you'll agree with this, but I, I don't think that the, the Fed governors would be happy to see uh, uh, FedEx uh, uh, posting profits that beat expectations today because they still want to see the economy uh, slow down, slow down further than it has. Yeah, and uh, one way to get that is $90 plus crude oil. It will slow down. Ultimately, it will. Um, but it won't be because of interest rates. <laughs> It'll yeah. be because of uh, inputs just, uh, again, on this meteoric rise, because there's no two ways about it. Um, when crude oil goes up this much this fast, you got to think that uh, Russia and uh, MBS 
Mohammed bin Salman over in Saudi are just uh, rubbing their little fingers back and forth in sync. Oh yes, now's our time. <laughs> no, not 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 to mention that uh, our friend Putin over in Russia saying all exports banned across the board. We're not we're not exporting oil and gas. I'm sure you saw that across the tape today too. I did, I did, and equally that's bad. And we lucked out. Uh, regular listeners in the B3 nation know that. We had talked about how lucky we got that it was a mild winter over in Europe. Um, it was a great winter here in the U.S. and not terribly cold, but we got unbelievable snowpack in California and parts of uh, uh, Utah and Colorado, but probably Montana, but I never check. Uh, <laughs> just, just too far. But anyway... The uh, uh, Europeans got a very warm winter, which wasn't good for their ski seasons, but it was good for uh, them not destroying any of their strategic petroleum reserves or natural gas, because that was feared with Russian cutoff now virtually forever from natural gas, or at least for, you know, I don't know, five years. They couldn't rebuild that pipeline, I don't think, Mark in less than five years, um, that pipeline will be talked about and talked about as Europe suffers uh, through a cold winter, if it's a cold winter this year. I mean, going back to J-PAL for a second, then I want to bring in Nick Mancini, who's going to cover the crypto market update on behalf of Alex. Alex is on the show. We're going to be hearing from him later on, but I was told in the pregame that the talented Nick is going to give us the crypto market overview. I just want to go back very quickly to one thing that you said, John, that J-PAL yesterday in comments indicated that we could be looking at waiting until 2025 before we saw cuts. Didn't he say that we could be looking at a, uh, a half a percentage point cut in 2024? Um, if he did, I and most of the Fed listeners missed it. He may have, Mark, but... All the headlines out of the Fed meeting uh, and uh, subsequent uh, Q&A that I was reading were saying, hey, hire for longer and uh, don't look for anything before 2025 or six. Oh, my God. I know. That That would be disastrous. Nick, before we continue with the doom and gloom, it sounds like this is going to be a fairly bearish B3 today. Maybe you've got some good news for us. From the crypto corners, Nick Mancini, what say you? Thank you for the intro, Mark. And unfortunately, I am going to be adding oh. to the uh, the bear fire. So apologies there. You know, send your send your fire my direction if if you're angry. Um, but just to just to, just to start it off, um, quick market and sentiment updates set the tone. Total crypto market cap is 1.05 trillion, which, if many of you recall, is near about the same amount since uh, we went on summer break. Uh, Bitcoin daily sentiment is surprisingly bullish at 64 out of 100, showing traders are still wanting to get long. But I must warn that this could fuel further squeezes to the downside since traders have been quite long for the past week. And Ethereum daily sentiment is sitting at 49 out of 100, which is just in bearish territory, but also shows that uh, traders are still interested in the buy button. Total trading volume is 30 billion for the past 24 hours, which is nothing major, but is a slight uptick over the past few days. 
Uh, cryptocurrency market dropped substantially into today's U.S. session following Jerome Powell's Dove Auckish press conference. That is obviously a combo of, of Dove and Auckish. This price drop follows a week of rising price action where bulls were anticipating a break above 27500 which of course did not happen. We did mention last week that there was still room for a squeeze higher across all crypto assets, but prices would be forced to succumb to the forced selling from FDX, FTX liquidators. Looks like the prediction came true and considering there, there will be more forced selling to come, more than $1 billion in crypto assets to be exact, we expect further bearish price action after con some possible consolidation into the weekend. Early in the week, we did see some divergence between equities and crypto, with crypto rising a bit higher while equities sold off. But time and time again, I must warn, crypto tends to eventually follow equities no matter what the relative strength is showing. This is something to take note of for long term as well. To cap this off, we are what, here's where we're paying attention to when it comes uh, when it comes to the 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 upcoming week. We have PCE next week, and Jerome Powell predicted in his press conference that PCE would be heading lower based on their own estimates. But Jay Powell wasn't exactly too dovish and implied that there may be at least one more hike on the horizon, which Mark did uh, mention, and a higher for longer uh, you know narrative being being set. So with this set of facts in place. Market should head lower into next week's PCE print with possible relief if Jay Powell's lower PCE prediction is correct. So key levels for Bitcoin remain 27.5K, possibly up to 28K on any random squeeze. Uh, but the key support is down low at the 25K level. Uh, and it, and it, may look, it may look like we will flirt with prices into 20K or below next week, but 20K is critical wow. support. Uh, before that 25k level so um, we're going to be watching for that very closely but if 26k is broken expect 25k relative wow wow um, not good news but nick you know before we get into some of the tradfi stuff again with some specific uh, coverage of some bull and bear stock picks which we decided folks to bring back by popular demand to bring back to the b3 uh, x spaces this forced selling as it relates to the FTX bankruptcy proceeding, it, it, you know, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, right? Since we came back from summer hiatus, the first time that Alex uh, talking, I was looking at my show notes from, from our, our show maybe three weeks ago or so. I think it was probably the first September show that we did when, you know, I asked Alex when he was talking about the forced selling that was going to be occasioned by the FTX bankruptcy portfolio sell-off, how is it that anybody... Based on that, I mean, it's almost like you, you see the train coming, and you get into the you know the the stuck on the on the on the tracks anyway. When you know you've got that much liquidity coming into the market on the, on the sell side, how do you do anything but short? That that that's what I don't really understand. I completely agree with you, Mark. And and you know what we hear a lot on the street, you know, a lot of smart money that I do that I talk to it has been short, uh, you know, since the twenty seven k, twenty seven point five k highs, and then using that as kind of a benchmark for strength across all crypto. But um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the retail market is still kind of in this belief. They're listening to the narrative. Oh, all this money is locked up. They're going to drip the money in. These are the two core narratives. A soul, you know, the, all this money is sitting locked up. They can't sell it. Or, you know, they'll, they'll just drip, you know, $1,000 here, $1,000 there. And that's really not going to be the case. And we explained this kind of last week. If everybody is aware of this phenomenon, 
nobody is going to be buying in mass until that is over. You may have your, you know, your retail, your crazies, your, your people trying to bet against the funds. But when the train is coming, as you mentioned, your best bet is to get the heck off the tracks or bet on the train moving much farther down the tracks, as you mentioned. So we are not, you know, giga short, you know, just looking to stay short throughout the entire move, but we are shorting spikes. We are shorting the coins such as Sol, such as Ethereum, which may come under more fire because the SEC mentioned more notices maybe coming to exchanges. We're shorting OP, which just did a massive nine-figure private sale where they're not disclosing any of the amounts or the prices. So there's a lot of value still in the market. It's just unfortunately to the downside and you have to pick the likely losers and then try and find where you want to buy the likely winners when the FTX dust sets. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's it's even harder for me to believe because we've learned the lesson about just, you know, thinking it's locked up doesn't put pressure pressure on pricing. And, and actually inspire selling because we have a corollary, I, I think, and you're the crypto expert, not me. We have a corollary to what happens when wallets go from cold to hot before people even start to sell, right? When, when, we, when we see crypto coming out of cold storage, when we see crypto going you know, on exchange even before it sells, that's an indication and tends to uh, drive some pretty bearish price action. Is that not correct? 100%. We've been tracking coin movements. Like we watched StormX move, uh, you know, multiple percentage points of total supply into the uh, after a squeeze onto exchanges. And that dropped, uh, you know, I think over 10%. If you go look at the chart right now, there's another one TRB, which just came off the highs pretty well. So we're tracking that very closely. And, and again, the, these coins with massive lockups long term, I'm looking to short them. People don't think that they're going to go down, but look at OP. They just sold nine figures. They're not even telling their community what price or how much. Just we sold nine figures of total amount of tokens. We don't know what the price was. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go look at the charts. You know, what would you do if you were a VC? What deal would you want on a two-year lockup on a coin that's been down only for 18 months? You know, I'm looking at 50 cents. To be honest with you, maybe lower. And if we know what happened with Curve, if we think about the same things about Sailor announcing a hundred million dollar buy and then the price goes up until he's done buying, well, you have to imagine the same kind of game theory is going to play out just to the downside because we know selling is. Well, coming. you know, we do we do have a a, a corollary in TradFi as we do with many things, and we refer to it as the 144 liquidity discount. That's a reference. To rule 144, which requires people that buy shares in private placements to hold them for up to a year. And when a smart investors, venture firms, even uh, you know individual guys in family offices like myself and John, when we're asked to take 144 paper with that type of restriction, we'll look for as much as a what one-third uh, discount in, in the reverse. So... Um, And that that lines. Oh, yep. I agree with with you, Nick. And and yeah. Mark. Sorry, I think. Sorry, I thought thought we had a small speaker issue there. But no, I hundred percent agree. And that's kind of the same thing I'm looking at. Op. It was a it was a dollar fifty cents when I heard about the private placements, and fifty cents is what makes a lot of sense in my book when you start looking at the charts. And and let's think about Seoul as well. Seoul has five hundred million dollars worth of locked up Seoul, maybe even more. And when we found out about it, the price was hovering around 19, 20 bucks. So, you know, just using that same 
theory, I've been saying single digit soul and I've been getting a lot of hate for it, but you have to call a spade a spade. And, and, and you know, honesty is the best policy in the markets and, and you got to trade that type of conviction. Yep. I, yeah, it's, it's the same thing as you're betting on football. Yeah. Um, you've got to make sure that uh, you're not betting with your heart, that you're looking at all the inputs and then saying, okay, what's the next likely move here? And just like you and Mark just said, um, in the case of Seoul or FTX, you got to think that uh, stocks will be, or those two assets will be under pressure for the foreseeable future. So, sorry about that, guys. I, had, I did have an audio issue there. Um, so, that Nick, thank you for finishing up. So, John, what, I know you were looking at some interesting names today. We touched on a couple of them. You mentioned Splunk. We've been talking yeah. about Splunk on this show. And actually, I think that's been a featured stock that you and I have covered, being the data nerds that we are. Splunk is a name that we've covered a few times and I believe that we've been pretty bullish on Splunk. We're not right all the time, but I tend to say, don't bet against the growth of data because it's just, <laughs> it, it's happening every day, regardless of interest rates and what JPOW does. But tell us what else you were looking at. And I want to also just break down a little bit what happened with FedEx and what that means for the economy. Sure. Well, that Splunk trade, like we said, uh, $28 billion all cash deal, all cash. So I was surprised, Mark, that it was all cash and not like a third uh, stock, at least. Um, but uh, an all cash deal, the nice thing is that as Mark just uh, very nicely explained about a 144 marked stock that you cannot sell, uh, you can sell cash anytime. <laughs> you can invest cash anytime. So there'll be a lot of happy uh, investors uh, when they do get paid out on this one. Although uh, Splunk was well north of, I think, 220 or more, Mark. And this takeout is at 157 yeah. a share. Yeah. So it wasn't anywhere near 220 now, but it had been up there. And that's why some people are going to say, wow, Cisco stole it. I tell you what, Cisco really needed to steal something because set-top boxes ain't where it's at. Um, that deal I never understood, but this one I do understand, and I think it's a good deal for uh, Cisco. Um, TKO, Mark, was, you know, that's that crazy friend of ours. Uh, Mark and I are friendly with one of the sons of uh, Vince McMahon, and uh, that's, of course, the, uh, the gentleman who was smart enough to take the money and run uh, when when Endeavor came over and bought the WWE in April. Uh, that was a nice buy. And now today they sign a new deal, apparently. David Faber, my former colleague, Mark's colleague as well, over at CNBC, uh, says that it's a $1.5 billion deal. They're going to come back uh, to the USA Network, which is part of NBC Universal. So that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that uh, uh, love it on Fox, but there's an awful lot of people who missed it on USA Networks. Now, that won't happen until next year, but still, that's a big deal. FedEx, uh, I'll skip over fact set for now, Mark. Don't even know if I really need to cover it. But FedEx, um, they basically feasted on the carcass of uh, some of their uh, 
competitors. I mean, when you've got one competitor that files for bankruptcy and uh, not liquidation, but reorganization and has had to sell a bunch of terminals and all the rest of it, that was really good for FedEx because people just wanted uh, to know that their packages would be taken care of. Right. Um, and they couldn't all of a sudden trust the over-the-road trucker. So they uh, FedEx get, was one of the big beneficiaries of that, and they reported earnings that were about 70 or 80 cents above street estimate on revenue of about 20, almost $22 billion. And part, so, was, part of that was on that uh, some of the... Um, that UPS strike too, John, right? And because yep. we covered that on the show as well when that was happening before the summer hiatus. Um, and, you know, goods have to flow in one direction or another. And if one carrier goes down for a meaningful period of time, the others are going to benefit. And I think that's exactly what we saw here with FedEx. Yep. And so was that was uh, that less about the, the strength of the economy, John, and more about that? Were, were there not more packages flowing? Like, is, is it something that... We shouldn't look at and say, oh, you know, the, the economy remains super strong and consumers are still buying and shipping things. I think Jay Powell and the Fed could look past this one, or at least they could come up with some, if not excuses, Mark, they could rationalize why uh, UPS strike, like you say, um, the over-the-road trucker having trouble for months. So that didn't just happen when they filed for bankruptcy. People were worried, well... What if I've got something that's got to get from, you know, let's say uh, one part of the country to another from overseas to the United States or United States to overseas? You don't want that thing just sitting on a dock somewhere um, if the over the road trucker can't handle it or if UPS um, has that strike slowing things down. So they were already looking at those alternatives prior. And I think that's why this was such a beat on the revenue side. Very, very cool. And, and John, I'm going to pull you in, right? Because on as it relates to the couple of names that I want to talk about, because we've been very much encouraged by uh, our producers and the folks, you know, that help us keep the show interesting and, and bring the people what they want and picks and trades and things that we're actually doing ourselves in our own portfolio is something that we've heard a lot of feedback. People want to hear more about it and what we're doing. We put on a couple of positions in our small portfolio within the family office. We don't run a hedge fund. We don't manage money for other folks. Um, these are trades that we do with our own capital. Uh, one of them, uh, RK Rocket, right? Um, that's uh, RKLB Rocket Lab USA. And Bausch and Lom, if I remember correctly, BHC. Uh, yep. Tell tell us or help me tell us why and explain to this audience why we put those trades on and how we structured them. Sure. Well, um, in the case of Bausch, that's of course um, a, a fabled company that was worth an awful lot more than it's worth right now, at least what Wall Street's giving it credit for. And BHC... Um, is an $8 stock. That's Bausch Healthcare. Um, they do gastrointestinal stuff as well as what most of you are familiar with, which would be their eye care division um, for contact lenses and the like. And I think this one, Mark, at a $2.7 billion valuation is a steal with $1 billion in free cash flow. So when Mark and I discussed it, 
that's one of the main reasons we like that stock. Uh, and, um, and John, how unusual, just to contextualize for the audience, how unusual is that billion dollars in free cash flow? For a $3 billion or less company, I think pretty yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's showing a lack of, uh, you know, institutional endorsement right now. Uh, and I think that could all change because think of what they're selling, folks. Uh, most of you, if you're in the contact lens wearing biz like my wife, you're buying this stuff every month. I mean, this isn't a luxury purchase or anything of the sort. These are necessities. And, you know, to have clean saline and various other um, medicated but over-the-counter products that they sell for eye care, um, it's an absolute necessity. So I think this was an extremely interesting play. Because the stock is so cheap at eight bucks, we just bought the stock outright. And our intention is uh, to buy more if it dips any here, um, or even chase it higher if the market stabilized, and then start selling upside calls against it. And we should be able to turn that into 20, 25% yield uh, just by selling those upside calls. Uh, out two months or more into the future. And that's that, that's the setup. Not investment advice, folks, but a very interesting one and a, unusual, not unheard of, but unusual for John, even John and I at this stage, to just buy the stock um, as opposed to buying the stock in a corresponding option position or just an option position. John, in three minutes or less, RKLB Rocket Lab, tell us a little bit about this one. I mean, I, I'll kick it off and I'll say, one of the industries that I'm very excited about long-term, maybe even medium-term, is the industry in the business of space. And we only need to look at Elon Musk and SpaceX. Of course, it's early. Virgin Galactic, we know what happened with Sir Richard's attempt at getting into the business. Has not gone terribly well. Rocket Lab suffered a fa failure to launch. I think that was the name of a Man of the <laughs> movie as well. Um, I think that means, you know, broken rocket, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, tell us why we bet on a, on a company that's, that's launching rockets that don't seem to be able to uh, get it off the launch pad, as they say. Well, um, our friends at Pfizer uh, could probably help with that. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm not you surprised. to go there. I was hoping I had wasn't going to go, gonna go well, there. Well, you said broken rocket broken. <laughs> and failure to launch and all this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, in John, all seriousness, in Vegas folks, so for a yep. conference, so you, you can expect some, uh, some, some of that type of uh, potty mouth humor as some might argue, yeah. but go ahead, John. I'm in the topless section of the pool right now too, Mark. So uh, things like broken rockets, probably, that discussion doesn't come up much here. And thank God Elon um, has not added video to spaces, folks. Yes. Um, we could we could yes. all be happy about that. Yet. Um, all right. But uh, so with 30 seconds or a minute left here, Mark, um, they had 41 successful launches. They've put an awful lot of satellites into orbit. This is a real company that competes directly with Elon for his satellites. They know they're not going to get those, uh, but they basically handle an awful lot of other satellites going into orbit. And two minutes and 30 seconds into launch two days ago, I think, they had a uh, Houston, we have a problem. And 
they said it, uh, the mission ended, <laughs> which is the nicest way to say that the rocket was broken. Um, that's obviously why the stock is below five bucks right now. Um, it's not the end of the world. Knock on wood, there were not humans on there. Um, right. So uh, the payload was lost, but um, I think this is a good company. If you look at the successful launches, um, they make an awful lot of money every time they put one of these rockets up. Yeah. And yes, they do. And this appears to be one of the better managed, better run of the of the uh, of its brethren. Uh, the fifty two on the stock third uh, three dollars forty eight cents by eight dollars and five cents. The stock closed four dollars forty eight cents up mildly six cents or just over one and a quarter percent today down slightly in the aftermarket and what kind of a position did we put it on this one job was this just an out now uh, buy of the stock and if we cover it was on this one was side. also uh when they're this cheap i i buy options that are more expensive than this stock so i figured you know uh give them a, a little bit of time we never try to catch i mean we try but we never go in thinking this is the absolute bottom but on both charts, it looked like they could see some considerable upside from the levels they were at. And so, yes, we did just buy the stock outright. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, again, not investment advice. You heard it here, folks. We're sharing some of our trades. I want to turn it back for some crypto picks, if you have them. My crypto picks this the, today, as for the past couple of weeks, would probably be all to the short side, probably still shorting. SOL, but uh, Nick or Alex, you got any names to share with us in terms of crypto picks, bull or bear? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Nick's not wrong when it comes to SOL. We've been covering it for weeks now, Mark. And uh, hey, everybody, thanks uh, for letting me join. I've been uh, covering the OTC desk, so not at the active trading desk like uh, Nick has. So that's why I seem to cover on the uh, macro earlier today. Um, but yeah, SOL. Uh, well, I just realized that sounds like a yeah. acronym right there. <laughs> is that a, is that a cry for help, Alex? SOL. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that was a poor choice of a symbol when that was thought out. But that's another conversation. You know, and as much as we've traded that, we 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 just realized what it means. So Solana does look like it's going to be SOL. I am in agreement on the single digit uh, trade uh, to the short side on this one. Um, I also, and you guys, I mean, all the listeners out there, I've brought this up every week since we got back on the air after summer break. Um, but also I'm looking at, uh, UCO. Listen, we're down just about a half a percent on the week after the, uh, FOMC meeting up over, uh, or just about a half a percent today, but up nearly 20% for the month. And I've been showing the crap out of that. I believe in the energy trade. Um, I think it's going to go to the upside, uh, and and we still have a lot of room to run in that one. Um, but you know, I'm a DJ. I do want to mention you guys were talking about Splunk ticker SPLK. Um, li listen, there was a somebody uh, opened up a hundred uh, SPLK 127 calls for twenty two thousand uh, dollars expiring uh, tomorrow. Um, when uh, Cisco announced they're acquiring Splunk for $28 billion, pop 20%. Those contracts were $0.04 cents yesterday. They're now $18.30. That trader exited for $10 million. 
on a $22,000 investment. That, that's a bank, John, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, that is a bank. Uh, that's shrewd timing, <laughs> some, some of us might say. Well, and you got somebody always knows, John, don't they? Yep. Somebody always knows, and then they usually tell a few friends. Close friends. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for that tip, John. Um, the uh, no, and listen. Let me tell you one little insight onto the into the crypto markets right now. We've been seeing these bearish, uh, this bearish price action technicals, like um, uh, Nick was covering earlier. I've been on the OTC desk uh, over here uh, doing the BTC uh, trades, and let me tell you something. Uh, we're running out of supply. We are having a hard time getting supply of BTC from miners in Asia to sell now. They, they're they just being bought up. Um, again, somebody always knows. What that means, I don't know, but it looks like it's, it's uh, you know, we're, we're in that bearish territory and some people are stockpiling. Miners are selling. They're trying to fuel uh, their cash reserves in order to pay the bills before that price deepens even worse. Wow. Well, that's a really interesting indicator of something that I was not aware of, um, but by any stretch of the imagination. That's a that's a very, very cool uh, observation, um, Alex. Thank you very much for that. Let's get into some of the things that we think are going to be moving the markets. These are our hot topics in this part of the show. A um, couple things that we're looking at, and you know, host Rob Nelson, who's not with us today, and he's not dead. He's he's just not available. Um, <laughs> he's no longer with us. Um, you know, he's been asking us probably for the past three or four shows whether or not we were concerned at all, whether or not the government, the markets, or the or traders were concerned at all about the possibility of a government shutdown with the inability of Democrats and Republicans to come to any form of agreement on the budget and, uh, and a bill to fund the government. Well, today, House Republican leaders set the chamber into recess, dashing hopes of a deal in the coming days. Uh, not good news. This definitely increases the likelihood that we might not have a deal. And the question, and uh, you know, teed up definitely by Rob uh, a, few, a few shows ago, Question is, um, will this happen? Will this result in another impasse uh, like the debt ceiling impasse? And when we covered that, and we covered it fairly extensively. Uh, we talked about whether or not we would find ourselves in another stalemate when it came to the budget bill. And it looks like that's happening. What is the opinion? And John, I think I muted your microphone because uh i have hosting privileges with and with great hosts comes great responsibility but now i don't know how to turn your microphone back on producer patrick maybe you can do that for me but would love to know your thoughts on the chicanery and and you know that i'm using chicanery instead of another one of my famous words to that relates malarkey no it's it's one that starts with an f um that ends with an e or an ery uh that uh (laughs) Do we think? Do we think these clowns that that we've elected um, are going to cause a stalemate? Are going to cause a government shutdown? Are going to cause uh, folks around the world to look twice or maybe four times at this point at what our debt reading should be? Um, and 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 how are markets going to react to that? Particularly on the back of that 
hawkish pause that we got yesterday with news that the market clearly doesn't like in terms of when we might see cuts and another hike ahead before the end of the year. Yeah, well, uh, we say it almost every show, but the government is the largest borrower, bar none. They are the largest borrower. And uh, unfortunately, Mark, uh, when we extended it by a trillion dollars, uh, we did that less than three months ago, and we used up all trillion. So, you know, we do not have a, uh, a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. We cannot curb our spending. And if it were any of our kids and we were being asked to put up additional money every single month and it got the acceleration of spending got bigger and bigger, um, I think we would all say the same thing, you know, no mas. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's other people's money, OPM, and the other people's uh, aren't the ones making the call. Uh, it's the, you know, 435 and the 100, and then the couple dips in the uh, Oval Office. It's just an embarrassment that they can't get any handle on this, Mark, because it's just accelerating. If we were to extend it by another trillion, I guarantee you it would be gone in faster time than the last trillion went. There is just no discipline. Anyway, off my soapbox now, but the bottom line is, yes, this will hurt um, because it'll likely hit our debt rating if indeed we tease the dragon one more time. And this time it won't just be Moody's. This time it might be S&P. And anybody that cuts our debt rating is going to cause us to pay more on top of the already um, multi-decade high prices that we're having to pay to borrow. So, yes, it will hurt. And, that, and that's, you know, that's a bad setup and really bad timing in, in uh, the context of where we are with interest rates. So we, we could be setting up for, for some bad times. And I don't, the, the question though, really on everybody's mind and, and Nick and Alex, please, you, you guys are, you know, we call you the crypto gurus, but you're pretty damn good at the TradFi stuff too. What, what do we think the market reaction is going to be? I'll hop in. Um, I, personally, I think, you know, this adds a little bit of bearish fuel to the fire. Um, you know, exactly what, you know, the way that I look at things is what is the outcome um, and, and how does that impact the rest of the market? And I think you said it the best. It's it's really that debt rating uh, may also have an impact on the dollar, uh, which has been ripping higher lately and uh, forcing a lot of risk, uh, you know, or people risk traders, risk investors to really rethink whether or not they want to buy, uh, you know, uh, stocks at those kind of prices. And so I do think that it's going to have a, a higher pressure on risk markets and, and it could go beyond. I mean, who wants to buy gold in that scenario, too? Um, you know, so it, it, it's not going to be good. Um, and that that could also be what the Republicans want, too, is uh, Jerome Powell has certainly been very supportive. Uh, he's been a much more dovish Fed than I think many expect. So you've got this kind of big war of dragons going on before. Uh, the next election cycle, and, and all of it's pointing to uh, not good for both the economy and the stock market. Uh, and, and for Democrats, but that, that's another conversation for a political show yet to be launched. We, we do have, B3 Nation, we do have something in development that might be focused on politics or is going to be focused on politics, I should say, 
release date is still TBD, but stay tuned for that. Um, it, it's it's really interesting to see though how markets react and how markets shrug off. But you know that could be more specifically. And John, I, I wonder if you agree with this, but that could that could spell more pressure on tech as and other uh, risk assets, as Nick just pointed out. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you and I both have a lot of respect for Nick and Alex uh, on their uh, observations of TradFi, and I think one of the issues here that Nick touched on, but I'm going to uh, enhance, is. When the dollar is moving up and you're in Europe or Asia and you'd like to buy U.S. stocks, well, you have to buy them in dollar terms. So the higher the dollar goes, the more expensive it is for you to convert your currency to the dollar. Um, that's one more thing that could slow uh, the market's upside move and or contribute to the market's downside move. Then you have... Uh, the fact that when interest rates are moving up like this, um, the alternative to being in the market with the two-year now well over 5% is, ah, I could sit it out for a little bit and make some of that 5% yield. Maybe I'm not holding it the whole year to make a full 5% on the portfolio, but I'm making uh, a bit of a return every day rather than being in the market and seeing um, stocks kind of acting like, for instance, NVIDIA. Can you remember, Mark, anybody uh, that cheer-led a stock more, even Elon Musk, than the NVIDIA CEO? And yet, after trading well over 500, it is just cratering now. I mean, it's down almost $100, I think, from those lofty levels yeah yeah amd too amd took a bath in the past couple of days as well as this uh, risk off on jpas comments right 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 and you know there it's not that ai is dead it's not that what they make isn't going to sell but people are putting off uh those purchases and on this show many times we've said um just like boeing uh nvidia might have a huge multi-billion dollar backlog, but they can only sell what they have. So if to the extent that they can move price up um, to make up for the fact that they can't sell any more than they're making, um, that's what they're having to do. And perhaps they've come to a point where their buyers are not willing to buy nearly as much at the higher prices. And so eventually uh, you get to a point where you've run through your backlog and i don't i'm not saying they're there yet but they're heading that direction you know and i just i i just want to add to this with nvidia you know i mean listen maybe uh this is where crypto comes into play a little bit um you know just coming out uh earlier today uh stablecoin uh tether uh usdt uh is investing 427 million nvidia chips um you know this may be a, a play where Crypto comes in and saves the day with NVIDIA. We saw prices rise with NVIDIA stock during the boom uh, with their chips that, you know, are used in in mining. Um, so maybe we'll see that again. we got the having coming up in uh, spring of next year. Uh, so who knows? So a quick question for you, Alex, and then I want to ask John a, a question that, that's 
of an educational nature for the B3 audience. Would you would you be moving into USDC? Like if we if we believe that all of this bearish um, catalyst is is on the on the horizon, and you know I I notice as I'm talking that Coin Telegraph just uh, put out you know Ethereum prices uh, are are at a at a new a new low. I, I assume that's correct. Um, would would you be moving into USDC? I know you wouldn't be moving into fiat, but what would you be doing as a safe haven if we think that there's this much bearishness on the horizon? I was that was to you, Alec. I would be moving into USDC. Thank you. I forgot to hit the mic button. Um, the uh, and and just in the last twenty four hours with the bearish action, we've seen uh, just about one hundred and seventy five million dollars. Uh, move off exchange into stable coins. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, to, to what Nick contemplated earlier and what our desk is acting on is we're keeping dry powder on the shorts. So, yeah, we're moving the wow. USDC. We're deploying it on shorts, but we're taking it out of any uh, midterm investments because right now it's just not worth it. Wow. And, John, a similar question to you. If if we were to, or if any of our B3 uh, listeners were to agree that uh, government shutdown plus uh, JPOW uh, hawkishness, another rate hike in the offing for us this year, that that's going to put more pressure on tech, what would be a simple way of expressing that trade? Is there is there a short ETF that folks could, could invest in? Or how? what would you say is sort of the, the easiest way to express that bearish sentiment on the tech sector and risk assets? Um, I, I like being in puts for the S&P 500 or for the QQQ. Um, so if specifically for tech, I'd say QQQ, um, downside puts. And, you know, maybe pick one that's 3 or 4 or 5% out of the money, in other words, beneath the market, and then sell a put beneath that by as much as you can so that you have a put spread and you've addressed time decay as well as a directional play to the downside. Um, one that I've seen the pros doing a lot, Mark, is they've been buying the IWM, which a lot of people refer to as the real economy because, you know, yeah, people buy NVIDIA chips, not too many of us individually, but, you know, a lot of businesses buy them, a lot of data centers and so forth. Um, the IWM stocks tend to be more, you know, just America, uh, regular everyday kinds of stocks, the small caps. Uh, it's called the Russell 2000. Symbol is IWM, like India Whiskey uh, Mary. And over the last week, uh, they've bought multiple different days, Mark. They started when it was 186. They started buying the puts in the IWM 60,000 at a time. And they're buying out of the money puts. And then they're coming back in a couple days later and buying another 60,000 and another 60,000 and another 60,000. And those puts uh, mean that they control 6 million uh, short shares in uh, exactly the IWM, the Russell 2000. So, I think that's the way the pros are doing it right now is saying, man, we think uh, regular America and these kinds of small cap stocks are where the fastest acceleration to the downside is going to be. And 
the IWM has already wiped out a full quarter's worth of gains in just a, you know, just a, maybe 10 days. Um, and it wow. doesn't look like it, it doesn't look like it's slowing down. Take a look at that chart, folks. I have a, I have a question uh, to that, Mark, if you don't mind. I mean, go for it. Listen, John, the Russell 2000 is important to uh, mainstream America. I mean, it's been a barometer of really, what's, I don't know, the mom and pop stores of the stock market, so to speak, but it's a very powerful indicator. Um, you know, we've had talk for the last year and a half of, you know, interviews with banks. Do you think we're going to recession? Do you think we're not going to recession? What are your thoughts now with, you know, the the pause on the rate hikes, the, uh, you know, the, the rumor mill of, of long-term rate reduction? And I want to get this from Mark as well. Um, what are you guys seeing as far as recession outlook over the course of the next 24 months? Longer they hold the the interest rates at these highs, Alex, um, the bigger the chance goes up that the uh, recession will be a deep one, in my opinion. And in fact, um, Pete and I, this is without prompting from Alex, but Pete and I tomorrow here in Vegas at the Market Minds Summit, uh, it's a, an event for charity, but it's a bunch of Wall Street folks, including uh, uh, Left, from uh, Citron Research, Andrew Left, I think it is, Citron Research, and a whole bunch of other folks uh, will be here. And then Pete and I will be in Orlando, uh, end of October. The speeches are the same in both cases. We'll modify it, of course, but the keynote is, will the Fed drive us into a recession? And right now, based on what I heard yesterday from Jay Powell, I'd say yes is the answer. Well, especially if energy prices remain where they are, if oil hits 100, which as I've said before, I think it could hit 100 before it, it, it retraces back. People's pain at the pump tends to be one of the largest sources of consternation and, and dipping into an already uh, uh, strained wallet, personal debt, all-time high, credit card debt, all-time high, personal savings, all-time low, not a good setup. By the way, we've only got about three and a half minutes left here. I want to offer a shameless plug to John and Pete. And, and John, I hope I'm not jumping the shark here, but I, I think it may have already been leaked. But you and Pete have a new book coming out called It's Not an Option. A am I right? And by the way, did I just break some confidentiality and release what a great title, Mark? <laughs> Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't come up with the title. I, I did have a role in, in choosing the cover art, and, and it was it something did. I took very, very seriously. Uh, as much as I was disappointed that it features only Pete and John and not me in a photo bomb, notwithstanding, it's a pretty good-looking cover. But, John, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, sure. This will be our uh, fourth book that we've written together. Um, I think it's, uh, counting those, my sixth book. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, it's not an option, um, meaning that it's not optional uh, for people to understand options. If you really want to be a good investor, if you want to be able to uh, take advantage of the opportunities the market gives, and it gives them every day, uh, you really need to understand options. And so um, with this is, like I say, our fifth book, we will be signing books, 
at the Money Show in Orlando on the 30th of October. And we'll be filming a new commercial. So for all of you that hate seeing those John and Pete commercials on all the airwaves, uh, you'll soon see all those commercials again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I think it's going to be great. As usual, we usually give these books away when people just dial an 800 number. Um, and uh, we've I think to date we've done 430,000 books. And so wow. we're hoping we're hoping this one is a big success as well. Well, I'm sure it will be and I know I have my copy of Follow the Smart Money autographed by both you and Pete that sits in a prominent place on my mantle. Uh, <laughs> so, and I think yes, producer Patrick, let, let let's remind our production team we ought to do a, a landing page of some kind on the Rev Radio website. So B3 Nation can find out how to get copies of It's Not an Option coming out from Pete and John very, very soon. Stay tuned for that, B3 Nation. I see that I'm being told that we've only got 60 seconds on the clock. I want to mention we did have a DM from Michael Herson. Michael, some of our loyal B3 folks will remember, he's come on the show as one of our guests that helps talk about government policy. We bring him on when we're dealing with things like the debt ceiling. Michael did an incredibly hard-hitting show with us when the debt ceiling crisis was happening. We're going to invite him to come back on to talk about this budget uh, crisis uh, looming and the possible government shutdown. We'll see what his schedule permits, but I know that his input and insight, definitely the in, you know the inside track on what's going on on the Hill. Michael's been uh, on the Hill for 25, almost 30 years now. I don't want to age him, but he's been around for a long time. And Michael points out a direct message that uh, that national debt is now about 25 plus percent of GDP. That is an embarrassment. I want to thank everybody, um, Alex, Nick, John, uh, for joining. Um, I hope I did a decent job of filling Rob's shoes, Great job. serving as host and market master. Thank you, John. I know you, you, know you have to say that. Um, but it was definitely a lot of fun. A big shout out, of course, to our show sponsor, Celine Automotive, our friend Steve Celine. Folks, these are some sexy, sexy, powerful cars. And uh, John and I, if you ever get us talking about them and the experience of driving them around a racetrack, it will, it's, it's a story worth listening to. Check out their crowdfund offering. This is a sponsored post. We have it up there in the crow's nest. It's the start engine link. Uh, Celine Automotive, uh, startengine.com backslash offering backslash Celine. Go and check it out. Watch our video podcast that comes out every Tuesday on our Rev Radio YouTube channel. Real easy to find. Just punch into your YouTube search bar, Rev Radio B3. It pops right up. You'll get those video pods that we've been doing now for a few weeks. They're terrific. You get not just the audio, but the video. You get to see what we look like in real life. Um, which could be good or bad, depending on your particular proclivity, but that is what it is. But it's definitely a fun show. We've got some shorts on there as well. Go check it out. We look forward to joining you guys again real soon. Thank you, everyone, for joining for another terrific episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on X Spaces. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io. 
helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.